Greetings all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. Today we begin with lesson 49, and we are now in Isaiah chapter 62. And we read in verse 1, For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace, for and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation as a lamp that burns. And God made it very plain. He's never, never, ever going to give up on his people. And so he saw the whole story from the beginning until the end. Just like a mother can see her child from babyhood to adulthood. And there may be some pitfalls in between and some problems in between and all kind of uh, setbacks. But a father and a mother that know the whole process, especially when you speak about a divine being, our creator, our God, and the husband of Israel, they know exactly what is going to be the end of the road. And so he made it very plain, and Israel knew it, with all their afflictions and iniquities, with all the evil that was there, the people that studied the book, that read, read the story, they went, so to speak, not only to the end of the book to find out the end results, but throughout the entirety of the book, they constantly saw the nature of God, the plan of God, the hopes of God, the dreams of God, and the final culmination of it all. And so that's exactly what God is saying. In other words, as people should have realized that, had they read it, had they had the background, God never forsook his people, never rejected them, never got tired of them, and never, never, ever went somewhere else. Because God is a faithful God. Man is not, and so man attributes to God what he is. And verse 2, And the the Gentiles, or the nations, shall see your righteousness, and all kings your glory. We are speaking constantly about the church of God, the only church of God, the only one that he married, the only one that he's going to remarry, the only wife. And so all the nations of the earth are going to see it, even though now an awful lot of them claim to be the church of God, while the people of God, as far as are concerned, have been rejected. So God made it very plain. And 2,800 years ago, this was recorded, and there was absolutely no reason for anyone to ever doubt that, or misunderstand that, or come up with a false doctrine. And maybe that's one reason why for many centuries they were trying to burn this very book that contained this knowledge and understanding and truth and did not allow their own people to read it because they were afraid that they will discover the truth. And so God said, The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Eternal and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. So shall you no longer be termed forsaken nor shall your land any more be termed desolate. People have spiritualized this concept of the church, and yet God makes it very plain. He is not talking about that spiritual concept that people have invented out of their own, uh, you know, figment of imagination. He's talking about a real place, a real city, a real people with real problems and real needs for a healer, for the physician. He's talking about his wife and his people. And so he described everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly about her. 
And nobody can go around the scriptures and spiritualize them and say, well, that speaks about the church, and then mean their concept of the church. And so he said, but you shall not, nor, nor uh, shall your land be any more turned desolate, but you shall be called Hefziba. Hefziba, that's in Hebrew, means my desire is in her. And your land, Be'ula. And Be'ula means, comes from the word Baal or Baal, which means master and owner. And when a man takes, who generally would be the master of the land, takes a woman, she becomes uh, the, uh, the wife of the master. And so she's called Be'ula. And that very term, Be'ula, uh, was used also for the sexual act itself. Because when a man takes a woman, he goes in unto her, she becomes his wife. That whole process because, uh, uh, is, is used in this terminology. Baal, the owner, leaves all to have intercourse with a woman and also means to take her unto him as a wife. And so God said, I'm going to marry you. I'm going to have uh, a marriage relationship with you. Just like you have between a husband and a wife. And then children will come from that. And so he said, your land shall be Beula. In other words, married. For the Lord delights in you, in spite of all of your problems, after he cleanses you and purges you and purifies you. You know, the example that, uh, oh, the, the experience that every mother goes through, and maybe a father now and then also. A baby, you know, messes up the diapers and they stink at that point. You know, you don't necessarily feel like they're lovable. Uh, yet, after you take them and you cleanse them and then uh, you remove every, all the filth and uh, you perfume them, so to speak, put powder on them, then they are sweet babies again. And that's what God uh, thinks about his own people. And people don't realize that. And so they think, well, God, when God is angry with the people, that's it. He cuts them off and they are gone. It doesn't work like that. If a mother can have that kind of love toward the baby and her affection and warmth and kindness is restored to that little child after, you know, the, the message is gone, how much more the husband of Israel. And so that's what it says, for the eternal delights in you and your land shall be married. And married in Beulah is basically the same way, terminology. Verse 5, for as the young man marries a virgin so shall your sons marry you, but also her God will marry her. It's both ways. So shall your sons marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. So what is the marriage of the Lamb? Why is it that people don't get it and don't understand it when it is written in black and white so very plainly? When God is going to bring back his people to their land, and people that have been rejected because of their sins and iniquities, and they are going to marry the land, and he's going to marry them. And he's going to be the bridegroom, and they are going to be the bride. And some of them are going to be spirit beings, because they have endured and overcame, and walked in his path and his ways. And therefore, they are going to be resurrected into the resurrection of life. But as, all, as for the others, are still alive. They're in the flesh. They haven't gone through the process yet of conversion. But they're going to. But all of them enter into the marriage relationship. And God marries all of them. And how far it is from the so-called Christian concept of the marriage of the Lamb. 
like east is from west. Verse 6. I have set watchmen on your walls. Let's read it again. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace, day or night. You who make mention of the Eternal, do not keep silence and give him no rest till he establishes and he until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. And that's the desire of God for his people to seek the salvation. Uh, this is what it means later on when you read in the New Testament where Christ constantly admonished his disciples to pray, Thy kingdom come. This is what he's talking about. Not the deception and the lies that people have invented, that ethereal, unrealistic, unbiblical concept of going to heaven. You know, and all the lies you know, that went around it. This is what he's talking about, thy kingdom come. This is the kingdom when the king returns to, her, to his kingdom, to his nation, to his people, and marries them after he washed them and cleansed them and purged them and purified them. And then he establishes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Not in heaven. In the earth. That's what the kingdom is all about. The nation of Israel. That's the reason why the apostles, who should have known better than anybody who came after them, they asked Jesus Christ one last question. The book of Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel. And yet, children of darkness, who hated the word of God, and the plan of God, and the people of God, invented lies. And there are no reason why they wanted to burn the book for centuries. And they've done so. And yet others have came after them, the offshoots, the churches that came out of the great one, Revelation 17, these are the lies that they grew up with. These are the lies that they continue with. And unfortunately, many in our midst today who came out of this brought with them different other concepts, not this one. But to begin with, they themselves do not understand who and what is the true church of God, as they should. They don't understand it partly only. And that's not good enough. In verse 8, The Eternal has sworn by His right hand and by the arm of His strength Surely I will no longer give your grain as food for your enemies, and as the sons and the sons of the foreigners shall not drink your new wine for which you have labored, but those who have gathered it shall eat it. God is speaking about a physical nation, physical people. He's not talking about an ethereal spiritual organism. He's talking about a nation, a country, a land, where people are. And it makes it very plain. But those who have gathered it shall eat it. And praise the Eternal, those who have brought it together shall drink it in my holy courts. In the temple, the temple of Ezekiel, that is going to be rebuilt, or built in Jerusalem after the coming of the Redeemer of Israel. And only Israel will be in that temple. And they will enter through the gates from the four sides as they come from the lands the tribes of Israel from all over the land of Israel because they are the, the bride that's a wife and that's the, la, the last chamber you might say the temple and the way things are when you have a house 
the bedroom is for the husband and the wife. It's not for the children. And that's the way it is. And so the wife will go to the temple, and there it is the one that is going to come before God on every Sabbath and every new moon and offer the sacrifices and go through the many rituals. All those things were given as a marriage part, ceremony, elements. And that's what you had in the tabernacle, in Sinai. Those were things that were revolved, that revolved around the marriage between the husband and the wife. And when the children came, they were not a part of it. No more than children in any physical marriage are a part of the intimate relationship between a husband and wife. Verse 10, go through. Go through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up. Build up the highway. Take out the stones. Lift up a banner for the peoples. Indeed, the Eternal has proclaimed to the end of the world, Say to the daughter of Zion, children of Israel, Surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. And his work is basically with the greatest emphasis on the children of Israel. And whatever you see all around the world is mostly not the work of God, but the work of men. Who do not even know what Israel is. Or very little inclination understanding of what the plan of God is all about. We don't know what the church of God is. So they do their own thing. And with their own efforts that produce human efforts, not that which came from God. God has nothing to do with that. All those things that are happening all around the earth, supposedly in the name of Christ. That's why Christ said, many shall come in my name. Many, not few, many. And say that I am Christ, and that's exactly what they've been doing for the past 2,000 years, and especially in the past century, all those missionaries all around the earth, they come in his name, saying that he is the Christ, and deceive many because all of them are members of the churches of Revelation 17. And so, therefore, they're teaching lies. God said about his own people. Uh, he said, indeed, the eternal has proclaimed to the end of the earth of the world. You see, it's not man's effort. God himself is the one doing it. He is the one proclaiming the message through servants, by his spirit, not by own, their own human efforts. And he is the one saying, that he's saying, say to the daughter of Zion, not say to the world, say to the daughter of Zion. And when Christ sent his disciples, go you into, the, into all the world, the emphasis was on the world where Israel lived in. And the Gentiles that were being called were only free individuals here and there because they also... God also wanted some of them. But the emphasis was always to Israel. And the work that he's doing is with Israel. Once he brings them back. In other words, in physical terminology, a husband doesn't go or a man doesn't go and look for children. First. No, first he goes and looks for a woman. So she can be his wife. So he can have children. And yet people do it the other way around. Because they don't understand it. And God makes it very plain. First is after the wife. 
curses after his own wife, his own woman, his own church, his own people, the house of Jacob, the tribes of Israel. Then when he brings her to himself, back from captivity and sin and iniquity and all that, because he died for her, then he's going to have a marriage, then he's going to have children and open the door for all the nations of the earth who are going to be the children. People don't understand that, don't know what they're, what they're doing when they, when they think that they're doing the work of God. God is not the one doing it, they are doing it. And so that's what God is saying very plainly. Indeed, the Eternal has proclaimed to the end of the world, Say to the daughter of Zion, Surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him. The reward that he's going to bring to the people of Israel, salvation, and to some of them, spiritual salvation, because they're going to become spirit beings, and will enter his kingdom on the spiritual level, not just on the physical level and receiving the Holy Spirit, but totally on the spiritual level. So it's a twofold, has always been, and his reward is with him, and his work before him. Verse 12, and they shall call them, that is the nations, the whole world, the end of the world, they shall call them, his people, the holy people. No more are they going to say, well, the rejected ones, the holy people, the redeemed of the eternal. And you shall be called sought out a city not forsaken and that's going to be the fate of Jerusalem and the fate of the people of Jerusalem the children of Jerusalem who are the children of Israel and none else and then we go in contrast to the punishment that God is going to bring upon the nation and the people who are of the false church chapter 63 who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Botsra? That was the ancient capital of Edom. And Edom, as I mentioned earlier, is linked to Babylon. As a matter of fact, a good part of Edom today lives in Babylon, the people of Iraq. That's what they are, children of Edom, twin brother of Jacob. That became a part of the false church. Because he rejected the God of his father, the God of his brother. So God says, who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Bosra? This one who is glorious in his apparel, tra traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to move. That is, God is speaking. Why is your apparel red? The prophet is asking him. And your garments like one who treads in the winepress. And God replies, I've trodden the winepress alone. And from the peoples, no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. So it's contrasting the false church with his people. And that's what the book of Revelation is all about. The punishment that God is going to bring upon Babylon. And Babylon was always linked biblically. Maybe later on, we're going to go through that devoted subject to it on the identity of Edom. But Babylon was always linked with Edom. Because Edom went in that direction. At least part of Edom went in that direction. And historically, uh, we read about many cities in that territory that were called after the name of Edom. And Botsra 
of Botsha, uh, the ancient capital of Edom, that was next to the Dead Sea, as the people moved, some of them, in the direction of Iraq and the Shikdoms and other places, they took their names with them. And so Botsra became, uh, in modern times, actually, for quite a while, one of the, uh, uh, in other words, it uh, became the, the, one of the cities of Iraq. And today you find it right on the Persian Gulf, the oil capital of Iraq, called Botsra. Where did it come from? Well, from the ancient place of Edom, because they are the same people, among many others. They're not all there to support them are there. But you can see the link between the two, physically and spiritually. And they became a part of the false religion, as some of them traveled also into Rome. And that's why in the days of old, the Jews called Rome Edom. They knew the link that was between these two. And they even, of all things, during the time of Christ, happened to be ruled by an Edomite, who became a Roman citizen. His father became a Roman citizen, Herod the Great, as he was called, the one that tried to destroy the one that came to redeem Israel. And that war between Edom and Esau, uh, that is between Edom or that is Esau, the same person, and Jacob, his twin brother, began from the womb. And God is going to put an end to it. And this is what chapter 63 in Revelation is all about. And other chapters that speak about the same subject. And so this is the judgment that God is going to bring on the false church. On the beast. In verse 7, we read, I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Eternal and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Eternal has bestowed upon us. So this is Israel now speaking and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies. You see, that's in contrast to the destruction that is going to, uh, that God is going to bring upon the face of the earth, uh, whole earth. You know, the false church. That's what Revelation is all about. You know, as, as you, uh, you can read through the first uh, ch- uh, verses, chapter 63, verses 1 to 6. You can see in chapter, uh, um, verse 6, for example, I have trodden down the peoples, many of them, in my anger. Because in Revelation we read, all the world, all the peoples, all the nations of the earth became drunk with the wine of the wrath of her fornication, the great whore, and the harlots, and those who came from them. And so God is going to have to plead with all of them by blood and the sword and pestilence and destruction. And even then, many of them are going to curse him and would not repent because in their heart, they believe they are the true church. They are not about to repent. And the Redeemer will be considered by them as a false Christ. And so God said, the Redeemer, the husband of Israel, I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. Utter destruction on the great whore and the harlots. And in their teachings, and their religion, and their concepts. That's what God says. Come out of Babylon. Don't bring that poison, you know, that wine of wrath of fornication with you into the holy vessels, into the body of Christ. And think that you're going to be delivered just because you have the truth, or even the Spirit of God. You have to come out of Babylon. And so the people of God are saying, I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord, verse 7, and the praises of the Eternal according to all that the Eternal has bestowed upon us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel. Plain words. 
That's the church. Which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies. According to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. This is the grace of God that the whole uh, supposedly, you know, New Testament. That's what they call it, New Testament. They, you know, they invented that terminology uh, that is for the entirety of the writings because they wanted to make it our religion. You know, the book of our religion versus your religion, the Old Testament. No, this is the book of the religion of Israel, which included also sprinklings of the Gentiles. And that's what all the apostles were telling them, especially Paul. He said, don't boast. Don't be proud and haughty and arrogant just because you were grafted and now you think that you are the one. God is going to get rid of you if you became, you know, if you continue with this attitude, and he did. Those who continued with this attitude, which were the majority of them, and they became known later on as the Gentile church. And only the few remained faithful to Israel and the religion of Israel. And as Paul is to tell others, you became followers of the churches in Judea. That's what they were supposed to be, followers of the churches in Judea. Followers of the church of God. The commonwealth of Israel. That's what he's talking about. People that have no background don't know what he's talking about. And don't know what any of the disciples talk about. That is, fool it. They may know a little bit of it. Part of it. Even a good measure of it. But you've got to know the whole story to understand what's happening. You've got to see the whole movie. Read the whole book to understand what's happening at the end. And so in verse 8, For his sake, speaking about uh, God, surely they are my people. Children that who will not lie. So he became their savior. And then speaking about the time when they were in the, in the wilderness and other times. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And that's what you read also in Isaiah 53. That he borne our grief, our grief and our sorrows. See, so he was afflicted with the sins of Israel. He was afflicted when Israel was in affliction, in tribulation, in captivity, in punishment. Just like every loving husband is going to be afflicted when his wife is in trouble, in sickness, in disease, whatever, in torment. And then it says, so he was afflicted in their affliction. And the angel of the eternal, and the, and the angel of his presence saved them. The angel that he appointed over Israel. As God told Moses, I'm going to send my angel before you. Later on, we, we know the name of the angel, Michael. As we read in Daniel chapter 12. He is the prince of Israel. And his love, and in his pity, he redeemed them. In spite of all their constant bickering, you know, and complaining against God and, and uh, all their problems. But he loved them. And the love of God is unconditional. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bore them and carried them all the days of old. That's the way the God of Israel, the husband of Israel, treated his wife. And yet, in contrast, he says in verse 10, by they rebelled, they, you know, his people rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned himself against them as an enemy and he fought against them. You see? So God always, in the open, revealed all the intimate details, so to speak, 
of the problems he had with his wife, because it to be recorded. But at the same time, all, you know, at the same time he told everybody. That's not the end of the line. That's not the end of the story. Don't get any ideas. I'm going to take her back to myself. If I need to die for her. And he did. I mean, he knew to begin with she's going to sin. Just like he knew to begin with that Adam is going to sin. And so we read in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, that Christ was slain from the foundation of the earth. Why? So he can redeem Adam and his descendants. And so he died for his wife, so he can redeem her, not so he can reject her and go marry someone else. And so God always explained to all of humanity and all those who are willing to read and understand and comprehend what his plan of salvation for his people to begin with and then through them for the rest of humanity. So verse 11, Then he remembered the days of old, Moses and his people saying, Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit within them? Because God dwelt in their midst, their husband dwelt in their midst, who led them by the right hand of Moses with his glorious arm, dividing the waters from uh, before them to make for himself an everlasting name, even though they were constantly rebel rousers, constantly griping and complaining. Verse 13, who led them through the deep as a horse in the wilderness, that they might not stumble, as the beast goes down into the valley, and the Spirit of the Eternal caused them to rest. And when it says the Spirit of the Eternal, it's speaking about Jesus Christ. He was, a, he was a spirit that God sent. We mentioned that, we spoke about that uh, thoroughly before that, you know, what is the spirit of God? Sometimes it is his power, we have to understand the context, and sometimes it's speaking, speaking about himself. And that's another name of God that people did not realize, that's one of his names, the spirit. The God of all spirits, as Moses called him, oh God of all spirits. You see, he's a spirit, he's a spirit being, God is spirit. And so the Spirit of the Eternal caused them to rest. In other words, Jesus Christ, who is the messenger and is also the, the, the one that was sent by the, by the one that became the later on is the Father. Uh, people that don't have a, con a full comprehension of the Bible, they, they, they read a lot of scriptures and they get mixed up and they invent new doctrines. And that's what Peter was saying. A lot of people were unlearned. Not learned, but unlearned. They wrestled with the scriptures, you know, and specifically the, those of the Apostle Paul. Because they had no background. They didn't know what Paul is talking about. He says they're wrestling with the scriptures to their own destruction. And many of us have done that. So they have no, we have no background. We don't know what Paul is made of. What's on his mind? Because we have not been raised like he was, like Timothy, like all those who were raised that way from a child in the Holy Scriptures. Not with the lies that were taught from it, but the truth, from A to Z. And so we wrestle with it to our own destruction sometimes. And so God says, verse 14, As the beast goes down into the valley, and the Spirit of the Eternal causes him to rest, so you lead your people to make yourself a glorious name. So why would he forsake his people if through them he's going to make himself a glorious name? And then verse 15, look down from heaven and see from your habitation, holy and glorious, where are your zeal and your strength? In other words, God, the prophet is saying, well, deliver us. Because we're in trouble, because of our own iniquities, and the yearning of your heart and your mercies toward me. Israel is speaking the voice of the prophet. Are they restrained? Doubtless, you are our father. 
So Abraham was ignorant of us because he's dead. That's what he means by that. That's why he's ignorant of us. People who are dead, they know that they are ignorant of anything that is happening. And Israel does not acknowledge us. That is Jacob because he's dead too. You, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer, from everlasting is your name. Speaking about the husband of Israel, who is also called the Everlasting Father, because he's the creator of Israel, and of all mankind. Verse 17, O Lord, and by the way, uh, some people may not realize that, an idiom in, in, the, uh, in the, among the children of Israel uh, was taken from that, the father. In other words, a wife also would call her husband father. And people who served, uh, you know, the great ones, they call them father. And that's, that's what they mean by that. Uh, it's sort of uh, an idiom for a husband or master. Verse 17, O Lord, why have you made us to stray from your ways and harden our hearts from your fear? Because remember what Isaiah was told by God, by God you know, by, by the, the husband of Israel, chapter 6. I want you to, to uh, harden their heart to uh, cause them to be blind so they would not understand so I wouldn't heal them because I don't intend to do it now I'm going to do it later on I have a plan that's why I'm going to work it out and so that the prophet is, is in essence though he understands that this is uh, part of his commission he still is bemoaning that, that state and he says well, why have you hardened our heart from your fear return for your servant's sake the tribes the tribes of your inheritance oh speaking only about Israel your holy people have possessed it but a little while. Our adversaries have trodden down your sanctuary. We have become like those of old, of the old, like those of old over whom you never ruled. God never ruled over the nations. You see? Because the nations were not his wife. That's why. No more than a man who marries his wife, you know, is going to uh, rule over otherwise, so to speak. And so that is made very plain, constantly, repeatedly, all the time. There was never any reason for anybody to get deceived or confused about it. It's so plain. Verse 19, we have become like those of old over whom you never ruled. Those who were never, never called by your name. How plain can God be? Nobody else was ever called by the name of God except the church of God, the people of God, the Israel of God, the twelve tribes of Israel. Nobody else. And nobody else will be until God comes back and marries his wife. And through them, through that wife, he brings the others. Then they too will be called by the name of the Lord. That's what Paul was telling the Ephesians. As long as you were Gentiles, you were cut off from the commonwealth of Israel. You were without hope, without God, without promises, without covenants. There is no other way. People think, well, I can come directly through Christ. No, you can't. Christ made it very plain. Yes, you know, you, come, you have to come to Christ. The Father calls you and you come to Christ. But you have to come through His nation, through His people, through His apostles. Whom do you think wrote the New Testament? Children of Israel. So you have to come through it. There is no other way. That's why there is no other way to come to God but through Christ. There is no other way to come to Christ but through his wife, his people. Sometimes there would be only a few of them. Only four prophets, only disciples, only the faithful ones, only sprinklings, only the first fruit. But the time will come when he can come through a whole nation. Because the whole nation will be the wife of God. And that's why, later on, you read in Zechariah. It would 
come a time where ten people will hold on the, on the skirt of him that is a Jew, or an Ephraimite, or any other tribe of Israel, and they will tell them, hey, take us to your God, because we know that he's with you. You see, by then, the whole world would recognize that all the people of Israel are holy people. They're all priests. They're the royal priesthood. So you can come to the priest and tell him, tell me all about the truth, so that I can come and be a part of your, uh, of your commonwealth. Or obey the same God and be a part of uh, that covenant too. And that's what he's talking about. And these scriptures are not, shouldn't be confusing to us, they're very plain. A child can, should be able to understand them. Then let's go to chapter 64. Verse 1, all that you would rain the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence, as the fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries. All those nations that claim to be the people of God, and they're not, that the nations may tremble at your presence when you did awesome things for which you, we did not look. You came down, the mountains shook at your presence, for since the beginning of the world, Men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear. John Paul would, would quote that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him and is speaking specifically about his people Israel. And then those who will come to the faith, to the faith of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who is Israel and also be partakers of the same calling. And that's what he's talking about. So that's not you know, something new that uh, Paul came up with. This is what Isaiah recorded 2,800 years ago. Because that was the message that was given to Israel. And so that's what he's saying. Men have not heard nor perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen any God beside you who acts for the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry, for we have Sin. So he's going back and forth. See, God, Israel, Israel, God, God, Israel. You see, this is what the context is all about. This is the book of Israel from beginning until the end. It's the book of the husband and the wife. And then the children that will come through that marriage. All the nations of the earth. So he said, you are indeed angry for we have sinned. Israel, we. That's what he's talking about. People called by your name. In these ways we continue and we need to be saved. We need salvation. We need a savior. So he recognized that and that was a problem to people in the time of Jesus Christ. They did not recognize that they needed a, a savior. And that's why Christ told them, you know, those who are whole, they don't need a physician. They don't see any need to go to a physician. They think they're okay. But those who are sick, those who recognize that, those who repent, those among the children of Israel who humble themselves, who came to the temple, who said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter told them, well, repent and be baptized, because this promise is given to you and to your children. Say the message to Israel. And so that's what he says. We need to be saved. And when Judah recognized that, and when all Israel recognized that, because the majority of them are not even religious, well, they recognize that we are sick people. We need a physician. We need to be saved. God will save them. But he's going to bring it about, whether they like it or not. He's not going to wait for eternity for them to come to that point. And so verse 6, But we are all like an unclean thing. All, including himself, 
and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. And people think that they are righteous in their own eyes. And God says, even when your righteousness in comparison to me, it's, it's still like filthy rags. They don't ever, you know, think too highly of yourself. We should never think that way about any one of us. As David would say, I'm nothing but a worm. And so, as I saying, we all fade as a leaf. And our, not their iniquity, our iniquities, because we're all sinful, we sin, every day, every single one of us, he that claims that he has no sin is a liar. That's what John is telling us in many other places. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. And that's why God is the one that is doing the calling. We don't call ourselves. For you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. But that's not the end of the story. Verse 8, but now, O Lord, you are our father, you know, the God of Israel, the husband of Israel. We are the clay, and you are the potter, and all we are the work of your hand. This is the work of God, house of Israel. Then later on the nations, do not be furious, verse 9, O eternal, nor remember iniquity forever. Indeed, please look, we all are your people. Your holy cities are wilderness. Zion is a wilderness, Jerusalem a desolation, our holy and beautiful temple where our fathers praised you is burned up with fire. Now mind you, in the days of Isaiah, the temple was still standing. So what is he talking about? He's talking about later time. That's what he's talking about. Future. Because he knew it was going to happen. And so God is speaking through him because this is what God was going to do. And it wasn't in his day, it was in the day of Jeremiah, about a hundred years later. And so it says, Our holy and beautiful temple, where our fathers praise you, <clears throat> is burned up with fire, and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Will you restrain yourself because of those, these things are eternal? Will you hold your peace and afflict us eh, uh, very severely? But you see, that's not the end of the story, even though things are bad. Because now God is going to reply. Chapter 65. I was soaked by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. So God is going to tell them, as he said through Moses, since you are so rebellious, not all of you, but as a nation, I'm going to begin to call others to make you jealous. But he wasn't going to call nations, he was going to call, you know, a few individuals here and there. And sure enough, wherever Paul went and preached in the synagogue, in the synagogue, mind you, some of the Jews got pretty jealous, and because of that jealousy, they rejected the faith and the truth. Not because they didn't believe in it, but because they were jealous. They didn't like to see those Gentiles coming in, that is, individuals among them. And that's what God is saying here. So I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation or to a people that was not called by my name. And why? Because I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people. But you see, I was going back and forth, and if you read only that, you say, aha, God rejected his people, because they are rebellious. But when you read the whole thing, you realize what God is talking about. And so, yes, there were rebellious people who walk in the way that is not good, according to their own thoughts. And people who provoke me to anger continually to my face, 
who sacrifice in the gardens and burn incense on the altars of brick, who sit among the graves and spend the night in the tombs. That people do it to this very day, even among the people of Judah. Supposedly they go and, and ask uh, forgiveness uh, from the righteous ones that uh, you know they, they believe in their own mind, uh, heart that they were righteous people and they are dead people, and so they go to their graves and they beg for, and plead for mercy, thinking they are in heaven. We, you know they're going to plead for them. They're doing it to this very day, and they think this is all God. And God says, you know, that makes me angry. People who do such things instead of coming to me, they go to graves to dead bodies that don't even exist anymore. They said, who sit among the graves and spend the night in the tombs, who eat swine's flesh. They call it pig today, or ham, or pork. And the broth of abominable things is in their vessels. And people say today, well, it's okay to eat all that garbage. When God said, that's an abomination to me, who say, keep yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than thou. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. Verse 6, Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silence, but will repay, even repay into their bosom, your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, says the Eternal, who have burned incense on the mountains and blasphemed me on the hills. Therefore I will measure their, their former work into their bosom, says the Eternal. As a new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, Do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them. You see, in spite of that, I'm not going to destroy them all. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, an heir of my mountains. My elect shall inherit it, and my servant shall dwell there. Sharon shall be for the flocks in the valley of Achor, a place for herds to lie down for my people who have sowed me. And again, greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. Until next time. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.